Oregon Employment First, supporting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities to work in community jobs. Learn more at iWorkWeSucceed.org. Hi, and welcome to the Oregon Employment First podcast. I'm Angela Yeager with Employment First. This episode, we are talking about our data and outcomes for employment of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities in Oregon. Joining me today on the show is Acacia McGuire-Anderson, Statewide Employment First Coordinator, and Andre Harbo, Research and Data Analyst with Employment First. Welcome to the show, both of you. Hello. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. So um, I'll let either of you just take whatever question you feel fit, but when it comes to employment for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, how do we measure success? The main way we measure success, I believe, is looking at people working in competitive integrated employment in the community. And a way we look at that is how many people are receiving job coaching from DD services. So, for example, in 2015, there were 577 individuals that received job coaching services from ODDS, and in 2019, that number almost tripled to 1,509 individuals. And I think that that is one of the main things that we look at when we're measuring the success of the Employment First initiative. I would add, this is Acacia, um, that we, of course, have other ways that we have to measure success uh, due to Lane v. Brown and also an integrated employment plan, which was developed with stakeholders in Oregon to help us put some metrics around what we wanted to achieve for outcomes. We're pretty excited and proud of the integrated employment plan. It looks at a lot of different data points. So it considers how many people are in sheltered workshops, how many people are working, you know, certain number of hours in the community, um, capacity building strategies, how many providers, personal support workers, independent contractors do we have working in the field. Really across the board, we've seen growth in all of these metrics, which is significant. Uh, with Lane v. Brown, we also have one metric we talk about a lot. It's called Metric 11, uh, which is uh, looking at the number of people who had ever been in sheltered workshops who now have competitive integrated jobs. I think this year we had to have 700 or so, and we had more than 900, which is very exciting. Overall, we have to have 1,115 people by 2022 who had been in sheltered workshops in competitive integrated employment. So we're well on our way. We're almost there, in fact, and are very excited to share that um, as one of the ways that we measure success. And so that's a total number of people, correct, over the years. So 900 people that were in a sheltered workshop that are now in community employment. Right. So all yeah, all different individuals, over 900 people who have been in a sheltered right. workshop. Right. So we have a lot of different ways we measure success and employment first. And so those are some of the ways. Um, so um, and you kind of addressed this a little bit already, Andre, but how many people with IDD in Oregon are employed in community jobs? And can you reflect again on how that's changed over the past few years? It sounded like it was about triple. Is that correct? So the, there's many ways for us to look at the data. One thing I have to note is that we can only see the services that we're giving to individuals. There are many individuals who experience IDD that are working in the community with natural supports, and it's tough for us to calculate the number of people that are working with those natural supports. And so the two main data points we look at is from VR and from ODDS. 
Right. And so what we mean by natural supports is that they're working in their job without any paid support. So it might be just supports from coworkers, um, peers, managers, and things like that. So when we talk about um, with supports, we're talking about with um, ODDS or Office of Developmental Disability funded job coaching services, correct? That's correct, Angela. So what is an area where we've seen a big improvement in terms of employment first numbers over the years? So one number that I think VR should be very proud of is number of people that are exiting their services with community jobs. Um, when looking at 2013, there were 289 individuals who are DD clients who left VR with a community employment. And in 2019, that number was 853. So that's almost triple the number of individuals exiting VR each year with community employment. Yeah, and just uh, how many year period is that? That you said 2013, sorry, or was that 2015? 2013 to 2019. Right, so that's over a few years there. We, VR has uh, had a lot of success with um, serving people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So, so, and of course, a lot of this is due to, of course, the Employment First Initiative and increased focus on supporting people with IDD and community employment. Do you have anything to add to that, Acacia? Um, I think the addition I would have is looking at the number of people we've had in sheltered workshops. I'll let Andre pipe in with the exact numbers, but you know, when we started, we had over a thousand people in sheltered workshops, and now we're, I think, less than 300. Is that right? Correct. And so we had a, a height of uh, 2,800 individuals, 2,806, I believe, is the exact number of individuals that we had working in a sheltered employment. And now that's 296 or less than 300 individuals. And that's been over about a five, six year period that we've seen that steady decrease of numbers of individuals working in shelter workshops and also just the total number of shelter workshops. Quite a few of those have transitioned over to community employment. And I think that's the important piece that Andre's talking about. We get asked a lot about, you know, what happens when people close sheltered workshops. Um, and, you know, we've had lots of reasons, <clears throat> excuse me, why that's a challenging data point. However, almost all of our providers receive transformation grants. Um, almost all of our providers actually transform their service. So they went from sheltered workshop service to um, competitive integrated employment, so job development, job coaching. Lots of them do employment path services still, helping people prepare for work. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, we've seen steady growth in competitive integrated employment. We've seen growth in things like small group, or at least it's held steady. Um, and then we've seen this reduction in sheltered workshop services. And part of why we measure it as an outcome or a success is because we that was one of the goals set by the integrated employment plan when stakeholders came together talked about how would we measure success for employment first. And it's also looking just at the requirements that federal regulations, like we've talked about before, have in place. So right now, Andre mentioned we've got a reduction in providers who do that service. I think at this point, we're down to five. As of January, we'll be down to four. And by September of 2020, um, it will no longer be a service in Oregon, which is a huge change. And we're one of the few states to actually achieve that. Yeah, it's massive. 
it's a big shift that that will no longer be a service. And that's why we continue to emphasize our successes and then also continue to focus on trying to grow our services and grow the amount of providers who can provide these services because we know that there's going to be more people coming in the door. A lot of people looking for job, getting their first community job in their whole life, which is really exciting. Do you or someone in your family experience an intellectual or developmental disability and want to learn more about Oregon's employment services for people with disabilities? Tune in to the Oregon Employment First podcast on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Hear about employment success stories and learn from experts and people working in the field about what is happening in Oregon to support people with developmental disabilities to work in community jobs. So are there any initiatives um, that you want to highlight, you know, that, you know, related to this data and outcomes conversation? Well, because we have metrics, which is great, and we have data, which is also great, thanks to Andre. Um, I think it's important to look at places where we know we need to clarify policy or we need to look at how we work together between agencies, so between vocational rehabilitation and Office of Developmental Disability Services and Department of Education. One thing we've identified, though we've seen tremendous growth overall in the number of people working 20 hours or more, we still... Um, want to strive for that as a policy and a practice. So recently we reissued our policy around how to help people plan the number of hours they'd like to work. We call it the maximizing hours policy. Um, we've also had additional conversations with stakeholders about looking at that data and how we make sure that we continue to see growth in this area over time. Um, and we've also worked, Angela, with you on a communications plan to really highlight how we can help people be successful because there are definitely individuals who want to work 20, 30, 40 hours. What does that look like and how do they balance, you know, just like any of us, how do you balance a full-time job and a full-time life? Um, and so that's something that's important. And the other thing that's been coming up that's interesting is about looking at once people have a job. What does the next step look like? Hmm. What happens if they want to raise or they want a second job or they want a different job, just like any of us? It's um, not that it's new by any means. People are definitely having that conversation now. And we do have some tools out there, but we'd like to have more tools and more options for people to to continue on their career path and also for case managers and VR counselors to be able to help with that. So on our end, we need to make sure our policy is really clear and we need to get some tools out the door. So we've talked about using life course framework for some of that. Mm. We've talked to you know VR around what their plans are. We've spent time with the Supported Employment Learning Network, which is a national coalition that can help us evaluate some of these. So just based on data and looking at metrics and, you know, tracking this over time, those are definitely areas where we think we can continue to grow and improve. Yeah, and I think it brings up a good point is that I think people with disabilities, just like anybody, um, don't necessarily get a job and then that's it. That's that's not the, the, the end of the story. They, they want to continue to look at other job opportunities or maybe they like the current job, but they want to advance in that job and maybe do something else or take on additional responsibilities. And that's something where our system can kind of help with that career growth. So, and I've certainly seen success stories where someone started at 10 or 15 hours and doing maybe some very specific carved tasks. And as they became more comfortable in the job, they were able to take on more responsibilities, which then also allowed them to take on more hours. And so it's kind of looking at that person-centered nature of, of that process. 
So, Andrea and Acacia, any final thoughts on Employment First outcomes in Oregon? Um, anything you're really excited about in, in terms of looking to the future? Um, I think that it's very exciting how far we have come from 2013, really, when we started just trying to come up with metrics. What do we want to measure as a state? What is important for us um, to today? The settlement agreement definitely has some clear-cut metrics that are required for Oregon. and. I am excited and appreciative of the VR counselors and service coordinators and personal agents and everybody out there basically helping people, job developers, providers get those jobs. We are so close, even though it's not until 2022 that we have to have 1,115 people from the class working, we could very realistically do this in this year, basically. Um, in 2020, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And so this is my my chance to say, please keep up the hard work. We so appreciate it. And it could make a huge difference, really, in our outcomes and help us meet our goals. The other thing I want to acknowledge, because Andre won't do it for himself, but he's been working on this really since the start of the Integrated Employment Plan, helped you know make sure we've got good strategies, decent projections. Um, and so... You know, I'm glad he's he's still here with us. Yes, a long, an, a long, a long timer, an old timer, Andre. Well, well, thank you, Acacia. Yes, I am an old timer. Uh, if I calculate the mean time individuals are working in my position, there's only me. <laughs> but what I'm looking forward to in the future is actually just seeing all the tools that we've created or expanded on with uh, Employment First and specifically the Road to Work and the EOS website and seeing how that can assist people looking for providers, looking for capacity in their area, or also just looking for the roadmap of how do I get to work and how do I find all the resources that I need to get to that goal. And those are two great websites that I think that we've either created or we've expanded on in the last few years. And there's a lot of good potential there for the future. And so that's what I'm really kind of excited about. We have so many resources. Andre brings up a really great point, and I love to tout our resources. Andre, uh, you said EOS, but people might not know what that means. That's Employment Outcome System. And this is Andre's baby, uh, so to speak. So this is a website, and correct me if I'm wrong, Andre, where people can look up data on individual providers. They can search by county, and it can also show them green light, red light for things like job developer capacity and other types of provider capacity. Is that correct? Yes, that, that is correct. And also the great road to work that was recently launched by Employment First that really helps people put them on that path and kind of has that personalized, um, I guess, website creation it's difficult to to uh it's kind of a, pers it. it's yeah. a personalized journey it's like uh, i think tim on our team likes to describe it as a turbo tax of sorts for employment services so you put in some of your information and it kind of helps you chart your own journey um, so the website for employment outcome system do you remember that off the top of your head andre that is eos.oregon.gov eos.oregon.gov. So if you're interested in getting more into the data weeds, that's someplace you can go and you can find all sorts of fun data to explore. And you can always look at our website, iworkwesucceed.org, and there is a website. There is a link to the Employment Outcome System from iworkwesucceed. So thank you very much, Acacia and Andre, for being on the show today and talking about all these fantastic Employment First outcomes and successes. 
Thank you for having us here, Angela. Yeah, no problem. Okay. So as always, this has been the Employment First podcast, and thank you for joining us. The Oregon Employment First podcast explores topics centered on employment for Oregonians with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Field staff, providers, Oregon employers, people with disabilities and their families may be interested in topics ranging from the history of Employment First in Oregon to how to have the employment conversation from a case management perspective. The Oregon Employment First podcast airs bi-monthly on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Tune in.